And welcome to episode six of my new podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? With my guests, we are discussing health issues, questions you may have, and debunking some of the myths about our health. And it's an absolute pleasure to introduce Karen Newby. She is author of The Natural Menopause Method, and Karen is a registered nutritional therapist who specializes in women's hormone health, especially at menopause, with over 10 years clinical experience. She holds a BSc in nutritional medicine, and she runs a specialist menopause clinic and hosts regular retreats, corporate talks, and workshops on the subject. She's very much a complementary practitioner, often working with GP menopause specialists and women on HRT. Her approach is highly practical, realistic, and achievable, as we deal with very low bandwidth in amongst our turbocharged modern-day world. So it's an absolute pleasure, Karen. And she held a retreat uh, last Saturday, and I was very privileged to go and have dinner with her the night before. So we really did have a great catch-up with how we felt about menopause and much, much more. So, Karen, I would love to hear about your work and why you became a nutritionist. Oh, lovely to be here, Joyce. So, yeah, it was a, a long time ago since I, yeah, started uh, my journey into nutritional medicine. And it was really came about when I was um, living overseas. I used to live in Asia and I, I uh, was in India for a while doing some yoga and I started um, shadowing a um, Ayurvedic practitioner, an Ayurvedic doctor. And um, I was blown away by how this kind of ancient 5,000-year-old system of healthcare would actually be prescribing patients diet, interventions, um, herbal medicine, as well as cleansing processes and, you know, yogic asanas um, and postures. And it was just mind-blowing to me because I was just like, wow, I can't believe this is a um, this this is going on. And in the West, we think we're so far advanced with our scientific knowledge, which, you know, don't get me wrong, I think modern medicine is amazing and science is amazing. And everything that I talk about is based in biochemistry. But these kind of ancient healthcare systems, the same goes for Chinese traditional medicine that have been going on for 5,000 years, um, you know, truly resonated with me and is, is what why I decided to start doing a, a distance learning degree at that time because we were in Vietnam um, to, uh, yeah, of, of nutritional medicine. And I've never looked back. Fantastic. And, you know, we are what we eat and we're reading so much more now about helping reduce dementia, cancers, heart disease, and obviously exercise and movement are important, but our diet is so important. I think it's something that people have really underestimated and, and we do lead really unhealthy diets in the western world don't we it's really interesting um i think for for many of us we don't um you know many of my patients don't have bad diets as it were but they're just not nutrient rich and i think this is the issue that um you know we have a lot of energy rich foods in our diet which are you know carbohydrate rich or um, the, the, like bread and pasta and rice and things like that, but they don't give us the, the spark plugs, the vitamins and minerals and essential fats and um, proteins that actually we need. We, you know, our body is one big chemical reaction, and that's why it's fast. You know, my field of work is is fascinating um, to me still um, because you know if we don't have those kind of raw ingredients, then we're just not going to go as well, basically. So there is that sort of lack of 
vitality, if you like, as opposed to, you know, just working with the absence of disease. And, and that's why, yeah, it's nutritional medicine is it's exciting. Fantastic. So let's talk about the menopause and your wonderful book, which I recently read and I and I learned a lot and I was been thinking a lot about it since I read it. So it's called the natural menopause method. Tell us more. Yeah, so it's a, a nutritional guide to, um, you know, perimenopause and beyond. And I wanted to write something that would be very easy to read, um, that would be very evidence-based because I'm, you know, passionate about my trade and I'm passionate about making us aware of the science that is behind it. It's, you know, quite often my my industry is sort of uh, waved away with that whole concept of eat a balanced diet. Well, what does a balanced diet mean? And, you know, for many of us, we we find that difficult anyway. So the book is about helping us at this stage of life where we feel very overwhelmed. And I think for many of us, we are so stressed that we wake up every day hoping for a better outcome. And that better outcome doesn't happen because we're so stressed and we can't think straight. So I wanted to write a book that was very easy for women to access and dip into. Um, and, you know, for me, the sort of the, the troubleshooting section at the back is basically, you know, if you've got specific issues or specific symptoms, you can just have a quick look at, you know, what might be going on, uh, what therapeutic foods to add in and, and also supplements as well, which is often a bit of a, a minefield for us. So, yeah, that was my my rationale behind the book. And I think your book covers so much great advice, not just for the menopausal woman. So you actually start with <clears throat> you actually start with the menstrual cycle and how we need to listen to our bodies. And mm -hmm. you talk about the four shifts. Could you tell us a bit more about the four shifts? Yeah. So um, you know, the, the reason why I do start with our cycle is I think for a lot of us, we haven't listened to our body and our body, you know, is telling us things. Um, and it's 20,000 years old, we haven't really changed much since then. Um, and yet, we're so far removed from our natural rhythms. And I think for most of us, of our generation, anyway, when we started our periods, we spent our whole life kind of, you know, quashing those ebbs and flows and sort of ignoring them. Um, because we lead such a male pattern of life, although I think our daughters of today are having a different experience, which is which is great. Um, so the four shifts uh, are there to um, work on our systems, really, you know, my, my work is, you know, I'm a functional medicine practitioner, I'm looking at all the different systems in the body, how well are they functioning? Um, and this then has a big sort of ripple effect on the, you know, often far reaching symptoms of, of perimenopause and beyond. So I start, you know, my shift one is all about stress and life load. And for me, I think one of the reasons why we suffer so much more than our mothers did is because our uh, modern day life is is so extreme. Uh, often we're working full time. Um, our, it, for a lot of us, we have young children in the house, or dare I say it, the joy of teenagers. Um, and for many of us, we're dealing, you know, we're very, very squeezed. We're often dealing with, you know, wills falling off parents, dealing with loss. You know, we are um, just basically overwhelmed. And for me, I want women to um, actually address this life load. So that, so stress for me is, is my first port of call. Um, 
And I want, I can't do anything about your external stress. And I always say, you know, I'm very sorry about that. Um, but I can help your body internally when it comes to releasing stress hormone cortisol. So this is what I talk about in the stress section is right. Okay. What are the three main triggers of stress hormone are, um, uh, blood sugar lows, for example. So I work a lot with women on supporting their blood sugar because every time we get a low in blood sugar, which can mean we get hangry and shaky and faint, um, this releases stress hormones. So if you're already stressed and then you're getting these lows in blood sugar, that's going to make you even more stressed and can really exacerbate mood swings and anxiety. So that's one big section. And then it's also about um, elements that create more stress in our body, like... Um, a caffeine, for example, which, you know, if you're stressed and you drink caffeine, that it will put you into fight or flight mode even more. Um, so I'm not here to um, talk about any, you know, removing anything from our diet, actually. For me, it's about adding things in. But there are some kind of red flags as I go along um, just to evaluate these things um, and just to just to take stock and think, OK, is that serving me well, that caffeine, that first cup of tea or coffee first thing in the morning? And then the second shift is all about cleansing. It's about our digestive system. You know, if our digestive system is not working well, then however great, however many sort of plants you're eating or juices or mung beans, um, if it's not being absorbed, it's a complete waste of time. So that's why that section is important. Um, you know, as we age, our digestive function reduces anyway, but, you know, bloating and constipation and, you know, liver issues such as, um, you know, sense, you know, feeling nauseous, for example, is very much about the liver or feeling nauseous after fatty foods. So I need to help support all of our gastrointestinal, you know, our whole, um, you know, digestive function um, for any food to be absorbed better because we are what we eat, but we are what we digest, what we absorb into cells, and then actually what we detoxify and eliminate. So there's sort of five areas that that sort of area looks at. And then there's the sleep section, because if we don't sleep well, um, we wake up stressed, and then that cycle of caffeine and carbohydrates continues. So, you know, that's all about tomorrow starts today. And addressing this kind of sleep inequality that we have as women um because actually for, for me this this book is a women's you know menopause is a women's rights issue and i don't want women to be leaving work i want women to have a good night's sleep and to be able to wake up and feel on point as their male counterparts in the workplace so that they feel good about presenting and feel in control that's my my big thing and then the fourth section is about eating and what to eat how to eat the importance of eating as the path of the sun. You know, for most of us, we're backloading all our food to the end of the day. Um, and so it's, it's sort of how to eat. And then looking at the sort of menopause shopping list, what we need to be increasing um, into our food, you know, the therapeutic foods, the, um, the antioxidant-rich foods, which is going to help our brain function and the oils that will help our skin and our brain and all of that. But, you know, so there is a lot of, a lot of things to do. Um, but in each of the sections of these four shifts, I, I have this little small shift section. So even if the words blur over you and it's it's too much, there's a little section there of little things. You know, I like to call them my little small shifts that you can incorporate into your day. And then this causes this kind of ripple effect. For me, it's all about helping rewire 
the brain subtly and and the the you know never underestimate the power of food to bring about health change you know supplements great but um hrt great you know i'm very much a complementary practitioner i'm helping women on hrt and those that are choosing the natural route um but food um like you said you know chronic disease so much you know of it is about what we're putting in here and um as i said your but your book is for menopausal women but i think everything you've just said is really important even as teenagers when a lot of my work's on fertility and when someone's trying to get pregnant as everything you've said is absolutely relevant there then as well and people are you know, there's certain life stages where we get reminders to start looking after ourselves a bit more and i think i think the menopause is one of those crucial ones where women can have a a wake up call and say okay you know, we've probably got 20, 30 good years left, hopefully, maybe more. Um, but now's the time to really home in on that nutrition. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and I think for so many, sorry, but, but for so, yeah, I agree. So many of these, you know, for, for us pre-conceptual care, post-conceptual care, you know, often we're having children, we're not looking after it, we're not re-nourishing ourselves. And then we're going on to have another child or maybe another one. Um, because, and this is my point that I make at the start of the book, is that we have this kind of hurried women's syndrome where literally we look after everyone else except ourselves. And, you know, men men are great at not doing that. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, and they don't begrudge, they wouldn't begrudge us doing it either, but we have this kind of martyr uh, thing built in. I don't know where it comes from, but but yeah, absolutely. Nourishment is, yeah, it's 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 a radical change that we need to make. I want to pick up a few points that you said when you're talking about your shifts, but um, before I do, do you, do you think that some of the symptoms, perimenopausal symptoms women get could absolutely be controlled by their diet? <clears throat> absolutely. And I, I, I you know, I'm really passionate about that and I see it daily in my clinic um, because it's, the thing is with perimenopause and the reason why it is a bit bumpy is because the body is out of balance and the body likes to be in balance. Um, and you know, everything in the body is about ratios as well. So when our hormones start to roller coaster, you know, remember we can have a real hyper stimulation of estrogen at the start of perimenopause. We can become quite sort of estrogen dominant as the term goes, um, which, you know, one of those signs is heavy periods or breast cysts or you know you know um breast tenderness heightened pms heightened anger all signs of this kind of heightened estrogen as our body has one last sort of attempt at sort of procreation um but there are you know by helping the liver by helping your digestive system by helping the gut by pouring loads of micronutrients to help the brain um, by sorting out your blood sugar to stop hot flushes. You know, a classic example is, you know, hot flushes, when we get a low in blood sugar, this creates a release of not only the stress hormone cortisol, but the other stress hormones, adrenaline and noradrenaline. And these are vasodilatory hormones, uh, steroid hormones, which create flushes. So for example, if you're getting night sweats mid in the night, this can actually be exacerbated by a low in blood sugar. Um, which creates, you know, not only wakes us up, but creates this extra heat. Um, so that's just one example. But things like aches and pains, you know, uh, menopause is seen now as an inflammatory stage in our lives um, because estrogen 
um, is involved in our immune system um, and causes, you know, more, you know, it's our sort of natural anti-inflammatory or one of them anyway. Um, and this kind of inflammation can cause aches and pains. So a lot of what I'm um, talking about in the book is actually anti-inflammatory foods and lifestyle. So these are things like, you know, your omega-3 oils which are, and turmeric and ginger, which are putting out the flames of inflammation um, and just being aware of pro-inflammatory foods like, you know, sugar and gluten and, um, you know, processed foods. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to, uh, to sort of talk about reducing things, actually. For me, it is about the more, the more you feed your body the good stuff, the more the body is like, oh, this feels good um, because the body wants to be well and it wants to be back in balance. Um, so, yeah, I, I am very, very passionate about um, helping women nutritionally because the joy of helping get people back on track is that not only will their brain fog go, but their aches and pains will go. They'll feel more energized. They'll want to move more. They'll lose weight. So it's it's kind of, again, this kind of uh, sort of this house of cards kind of falls down, but in a good way. And these symptoms start to, I would sort of see it like a, um, us like a bit like an, an onion and we're sort of peeling away each layer. Um, and even that can be as simply as helping support your digestive system so that you can actually absorb your nutrients better. So, yeah, lots of things so, going on. Thank you. Sugar. So I, I just want to talk a little bit more. You've, you've mentioned quite a few things, but in, in my first podcast, I explained how I have a very difficult relationship with sugar. And I really wish that I had sorted it out when I was younger. Um, it's, it's the only thing I'm addicted to. And um, every, everything I've been reading about it, about how toxic, so toxic it is. And as you said, these sugar spikes are really not good for us. But you you said you don't think, do you not think we need to eliminate it? So I think um, eliminating elimination diets in general are um, not sustainable. So if someone is showing um, signs of these kinds of highs and lows of blood sugar, or the classic is the three o'clock slump, um, which can often mean that you haven't had enough or that you've had too much sugar earlier in the day, and then you're getting this massive crash, which leads to intense cravings for caffeine and, and sugar. So for me, my, the way that I approach it is not to strip out sugar, because actually, you know, we are overwhelmed, we are um, you know, we feel very tired. Um, we feel like we're, we're having to do all these things. The last thing I want is to take people's kind of crutches away, as it were. But what I do, um, the way that I work is to add more protein in. And actually, the more protein that we can get in every meal and snack um, helps to crowd out these cravings for sugar. So for example, if you're having a breakfast that is very refined in carbohydrates, or you're having your sort of tea and toast or just having lots of caffeine, because remember, caffeine can affect our blood sugar. Um, then, you know, and you're having sort of your, your quick sandwich or sad sandwich, as I like to call it, with no kind of, you know, a bit of gluten and a bit of carbohydrates, but nothing real, no real sustenance, no spark plugs of those minerals and vitamins. Um, you know, you will have those highs of blood sugar, and then you'll get those crashes. But if you have eggs for breakfast, for example, um, or if you have high protein granolas, like, um, you know, there's lots of, you know, making your own even can cost, save you so much money and adding in lots of nuts and seeds, but staying away from uh, dried fruit, for example, which can be, you know, it's basically sugar lumps. 
Um, and if you have that with dollops of full fat yogurt, none of this low fat, can't bear any of that full fat, you know, the fat and the protein will create satiety and will create heat. And then you will feel satisfied. And, and if you do the same at lunchtime, so at lunch, I often have, you know, lots of either leftovers, which is a big thing for me, or I will have lots of things in the fridge that I can sort of, you know, put something together like falafels and dollops of hummus, a few olives out of a jar um, and, um, you know, some leaves and maybe some sauerkraut, but just a big lunch. You know, we're not eating enough at breakfast and we're not eating enough at lunch. And if you do that, that three o'clock slump will not arrive, I promise you. And then then you'll feel hungrier and you'll want to eat an earlier meal and then you'll wake up feeling hungry again because that's often the thing that happens is that we don't wake up feeling hungry and then we don't want to eat breakfast and then that sort of that cycle continues. It, it, you talked about low fat and it's so interesting that we've, we seem to, with processed food, we seem to have got this so wrong. You know, low fat is everywhere, low sugar is everywhere and all the nutritionists I listen to say stay away from all of this so I, I don't understand why the corporate world has got this so wrong and is selling us these things that now everyone's saying we shouldn't be eating yeah so we have well it's the classic example of a food industry that doesn't care about health and unfortunately a health industry that doesn't care too much about food or there is relatively low knowledge within our healthcare system for gps or other endocrinologists to actually give some overviews of what a helpful diet would be in this instance. So with low sugar items, um, you know, uh, sorry, we'll start with, yeah, uh, low fat. It's got so much sugar in and, you know, some of the big brands out there, um, you know, are still producing stuff that is, is um, low fat, but it's got the sugars, which and sugar just converts to fat. But also the problem is with low fat items or yogurts, for example, which is the biggest kind of area I would say this is an example of is the fact that um, because it's low fat, you're not benefiting from the vitamin A, for example, that is high in dairy, um, because it needs fat to be absorbed because it's a fat soluble vitamin. Um, so this is why women that are dieting and doing this whole low fat thing, you know, we do have to think about their, their vitamins, their, their fatty, their vitamin status of, you know, A, E, D, and K. Um, and then we have the sort of the, the low sugar things. I mean, I would say full fat yogurt um, is generally low in sugar. It's whole food. And it's, it's about going back to as close to nature as possible when, we, when we're picking our food. You know, choosing food that doesn't have a PR campaign, which is when you kind of look at, you know, fruits and vegetables, you know, your eggs, your pulses, when you go to the pulse aisle, it's all a bit dusty, isn't it? It looks a bit sort of sad, but they don't have marketing campaigns saying high protein pulses. Um, whereas actually it's the processed rubbish that has all those slogans. And you have to, I think as a consumer, we do have to always question, you know, is this really helpful for me? And I always recommend um, for my clients to look at the back of pack, you know, because by law, Food market, you know, food marketing. They have to put by law the the amount of um, ingredients by volume. So you know that if sugar is one or two of that uh, in that um, order, you know it's going to be high sugar. And 
Anything over 15 grams per 100 grams is high sugar. Always look at the 100 grams as well versus the serving size because, you know, some of these cereals that I won't name any names, but some of the granolas, for example, um, make them, you know, they look like, oh, it's a lovely farm and it's all healthy and it's got a nice name and a sunrise. And then you look at the pack and, you know, it's like 24 grams per 100 grams. And then the serving size is so small to make it look like per serving, there's hardly any sugar. Whereas actually, you know, realistically, your serving size is going to be a lot bigger. So, you know, food marketing is a, is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, wanted to talk about two drinks. So very common drinks, uh, caffeine and alcohol. So um, I told you on Friday, I have never drunk a cup of coffee in my life. Um, not sure why. I just, I just didn't. And it's, it is a ritual. If you stand in one of the coffee shops, you watch people come in and they're almost shaking until they've got their coffee in their hand. And when I tell people I don't drink coffee, they, why not? You know, it's so lovely. Um, but, and, and also alcohol, something that's just become ingrained. And I see so many menopausal women who, when I ask them about their alcohol, they, they're drinking two or three glasses of wine every evening without having any breaks. Um, so tell us more about those two drinks and what you would advise yeah. to really help menopausal women. Yeah, so two things that are very legal along with sugar, those three things, all, all legal, um, but are, you know, have very adverse kind of biochemical effects because, you know, the body, again, is, is 20,000 years old and struggles to work out, you know, these, you know, high, you know, the sugar, the alcohol and the caffeine. So with caffeine, you know, I went decaf a number of years ago now. Um, I think that's an amazing stat that you've never had a cup of coffee as well. That's, that's pretty, you know, that's interesting. It's very, very few people can say that. So um, that's good. Um, but caffeine um, basically is, um, you know, puts us into fight or flight mode. And, you know, it mobilizes stored glucose that is in our liver and, and creates, you know, sends this glucose to our brain and to our heart and to our lungs and to our muscles, which is why actually, you know, if, if you have got a lot of work to do, it can be very useful, which is why we're addicted to it. Um, and I always say, actually, that only one cup of tea or coffee will only last you until the next one as well. So you get these highs and then you get those crashes and then you need more caffeine to bring you back up again. You go on this kind of roller coaster. Um, so that was my my point really about being stressed is that then if you're already stressed, you're then suddenly putting, you know, you're hanging off your stress hormones again because you're you're basically priming your body um, as if it's in fight or flight mode on the savannah 20,000 years ago, whereas actually the body can't tell. Actually, you're not in any danger. You're just sort of sat at your desk getting stressed over spreadsheets and drinking your, your um, Americano or whatever. Um, you know, the biochemical reactions are exactly the same. And for me, we can be, for gen genetically, we can be fast metabolizers of caffeine and slow, and both of them have positives and negatives. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm definitely a slow metabolizer. So I feel very jangly if I have too much. And I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to stop being a slave to caffeine. Um, and I think for many of us, we are, you know, we can't get out of bed in the morning unless we have our tea or coffee. Um, and I love the fact now that it, 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 I don't have that kind of extremes. And it, it really helps your mood swings and it really helps that afternoon energy slump. And it helps your sleep. So if you have any issues with sleeping, reducing your caffeine or avoiding it completely is an easy win. 
So if you do enjoy your coffee, then my biggest bit of advice is just to have it with breakfast um, and to because this lessens the effect on your hormones. Um, you know, enjoy one or two and then for the rest of the day, enjoy your herbal teas and, and water. You know, all we really need to drink is water. Um, and, you know, helping your children, if you have them to, to get used to drinking water is just a great life skill. Um, and then alcohol, I, you know, alcohol becomes for a lot of us at menopause, kind of quite self-limiting. And I've definitely noticed this in my alcohol consumption is that the, you know, the, the, um, the hangovers become so intense and can last more than two days or whatever. It's just, it's just not very helpful. And the reason is, is because it is a massive liver toxin as is, as is caffeine, to be honest, caffeine massively affects our detoxification pathways. Um, and alcohol is detoxified over anything else. It's detoxified first. And that, in my, um, you know, in my opinion, is a sign of how toxic um, the body views alcohol. So, you know, the aldehydes, which are a byproduct of alcohol, can, can massively affect the cell and the mitochondria. Um, and, you know, again, I'm not here to say to people, stop drinking, but it's a subtle change. It's allowing yourself time to have days of the week not drinking. But also, you know, in France, you know, on the Mediterranean, they will have a little glass every day. And actually, this is more healthful than what we do in the UK, which tends to be like nothing and then uh, binge drinking, which is just as harmful, you know, is more harmful, I think. Um, but having it with food, um, having small glasses, um, but also quality over quantity, so if I go out now, I will have a glass of champagne, <laughs> uh, which might cost the same as half a bottle of wine, um, but I will enjoy it and I will savor it and I will celebrate it. And I suppose this is my whole uh, raison d'etre with anything to do with food. It's celebration. Um, you know, that cake, I want you to enjoy a full fat cake, please. None of this beetroot cake or anything like that or more you know no fat you know enjoy your fat enjoy real sugar in a cake but be mindful of it and and celebrate it and I suppose that's the same with me with alcohol um less is definitely is more at, at menopause so I think your your main message everything in moderation um and I'm with you with the champagne I've I've always been a champagne drink I'd rather have that one glass and then not have anything else um, annoyingly, I also don't get hangovers though. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with no caffeine. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I can't remember mm -hmm. when I lost that. I don't drink excessively that often, but when I have, I wake up and I'm totally fine, which is very annoying to my friends. Oh, I'm lying. I know. Sorry. <laughs> um, so can I, can I ask you, have you heard people say, why didn't anyone tell me this? And what did they ask? Well, I suppose, well, the sugar is a big one, I think, um, how to get out of that, those sort of sugar cravings. And I know that you you have definitely sort of, sort of noted that. Um, but also, I think it's looking after yourself more and putting yourself first. And that's why I love working with women in this space, really, is to help them at the age of 40, 45, 50 plus to suddenly take this radical step of putting themselves at the top of the to-do list. Um, and I, uh, you know, it's, and like you said at the start, you know, menopause, because we start to get this big shift, we are forced actually to re-examine our lifestyle and our, on our lives as well. Um, 
And I think for so long, I haven't put myself first. And, you know, even my cat, well, she does still go above me. Um, but, you know, we, we are sort of, you know, our male, you know, for those of us who have male partners, you know, they are wonderful, wonderful at sort of putting themselves first. And they're not being selfish. They're just, they just have that in them. Whereas, you know, my husband will go for a run, even if there's loads of stuff to do around the house or, you know, weird times of the day, but he will go and um, he wouldn't begrudge me going to do exercise or going for a run or whatever, whenever I wanted to. But I feel, I think women feel like, oh, you know, I've got to do this, that and the other. Um, and it's the same with sort of resting as well. My partner will happily sit and rest and, and watch some rubbish on the TV when, you know, the house is a tip. Whereas we're like, oh, no, must must sort all of this out. But why? Um, and I think, you know, we are the central cog, um, you know, in a wheel with, as I said, looking after everyone else. And we wouldn't have it any other way. I think being a woman is incredibly special and we're very loved. Um, and we have amazing friendships and amazing connections. Um, but I, I do think that that is something that I wish I'd done a lot earlier, really. Um, but I'm certainly doing it as much as I can now. I think I think you're right. That's a very common problem for women. And I always say, you know, when you're on the plane, they say put the oxygen mask on yourself before anyone else. And I think at the menopause, if if we don't really start spending some of our day looking after ourselves, then we are going to have more symptoms. <clears throat> we're going to have more symptoms, and we're we're going to get well increase our risk of some of the chronic conditions. So it's our wake up call time to. And it's not being selfish. It's just to start looking after our health. So we'll be healthier to look after everybody else. So that's one of my mantras. Mm. <laughs> um, have you come across yeah. any myths that you would like to debunk? Well, the biggest one of my industry is the diet myth, um, which, you know, the diet industry, I, I can't bear. Um, I think it sets women up to fail, largely women. Um, and I think it makes us miserable and it makes us uh, feel guilty um, and, you know, the reasons why we struggle with weight, especially at menopause, is because we have hormonal roadblocks that we need to, to get over. Um, whereas, um, you know, that it's just such an old-fashioned dietic model of calories in plus exercise equals calories out, and it just doesn't work. Um, or, or it's not sustainable. I think we go on average of four diets a year, and as soon as you come off them, the weight comes back on. So, the way that I like to approach it is, and also I see so many women not eating um, and, and feeding, thinking that they're doing, you know, helping themselves, but getting frustrated when they're not losing any weight because they basically put their bodies into starvation mode and they feel miserable. Um, so yeah, that is a big bugbear of mine. And for me, my approach to weight loss is about an abundance of nutrient rich foods, which are Largely, a lot of them are plants. So being more vegan, I'm not vegan myself, but eating more plants generally helps to give you that flooding of micronutrients, which helps wake up the thyroid, which helps boost or support our metabolic rate, which helps our brain, which makes us feel lighter. Um, I never ask women to weigh themselves. It's about how you feel and the more vital you feel. And women will, you know, not women, people will come up to you and say how well you look because your skin will be better and your um, your hair will be glossier and your your eyes whites of your eyes will be whiter because suddenly you're you're nourishing your body and then you'll want to move and it's this wonderful kind of cascade of events that happens and then the weight goes 
slowly. Um, but that's what we want. The two pounds a week, it goes, that's, you know, the no one has to weigh themselves. It's about how you're feeling, which is really important to me. And then, you know, the world's your oyster, really, rather than this kind of deprivation. And there's a great bit of research where a piece of cake was shown to an American audience and a French audience, and they were both asked to say what was the first word that came into their head. And the Americans said guilt and the French said celebration. And for me, food should always be celebration and helpful food should always taste good. And this is what drives me to cook from scratch almost three times a day because I want food to be nourishing and that that sort of to give us that deep-seated sense of contentment that you get from good food. And, you know, that's that's you know the the exciting part of it is is cooking again although you know it cooking can be a drag if you have to think about what to cook every evening for the rest of your life it is it is a drag but everything that i um advocate doesn't take long and when you're cooking more plants it's um it's quick that that's a really sound advice and we're the we're the mothers of boys and we know boys need a lot <laughs> They eat, they eat, they eat much more than we do. And, you know, back to back to industry. So things like, you know, my watch, you know, one of the readings on here is calories. And it's, it is really annoying um, that, again, the corporate world and industry ha- are bombarding us with, well, you've got to think about your calories, you've got to think about low fat. And, you know, and so this information is not what any of the experts say, but we are bombarded with this. Yeah, so, and I have lots of clients that come to see me that um, know the calories for all the foods because actually they've grown up with mothers who were doing the e-plan or, you know, the really extreme diets of the 70s and early 80s. And, you know, calorie calorie counting is the biggest way to take any joy out of eating is knowing the calorie content. It's like with the menus that have recently just put in calories next to cakes. I'm like, that is just so destroying the joy of eating a, a freshly made cake with a cup of mint tea with, with a friend you know it's um it, it's not all calories are made equal as well it's just a miss it's completely it's you know it's just rubbish um so anyway that's my <laughs> that's my opinion anyway thank you very much Karen now what motivates you Well, the, the, the biggest thing I get is the joy of seeing clients that write to me and, or you know, if I see clients more than once, it's just seeing their journey of like, you know, I often read back to them the first consultation notes that I've taken because they forget, as you forget as well as when you're on a sort of healing journey, if you like, um, and just seeing the change, seeing the change, even how they're sitting um, they're not fidgeting anymore. They're not, um, you know, they're not talking loads. They, they, you know, they don't look anxious anymore or stressed. Um, it's hugely rewarding. And actually, the wonderful thing about my trade is that I, I'm just a catalyst. That you, you know, my patients are the ones that have made that change as well. And for me, health is about taking back control of your of your body and your mind, because this is the only place we have to live apart from our planet. Um, and, and that's to see that empowerment, I think is, is hugely rewarding. Yeah. Fantastic. So what makes you happy and where is your happy place? 
Well, as you can imagine, it's it's got a lot to do with food. <laughs> um, you know, I love food. I love eating. Um, and, you know, for me, I just love cooking or going to friends' houses. You know, I'm lucky that I've got some wonderful friends that can also cook amazing foods. I have a friend that has this, you know, the tiniest kitchen ever. And the food that she produces from that tiny kitchen is just staggering. She is she is awesome. Um, and there's nothing I like more than sitting around a table with food, with friends um, and with family. Um, and, you know, it's, it is food as community and that energy of being cooked for. And that's why for me, cooking for yourself, even though it is a, can be, if you're not used to it, can be a drag, but actually suddenly you then start to get used to it. And that sort of feeding of nourishing yourselves and nourishing others is, you know, one of the sort of the, the purest kinds of forms of connection I can think of really. And yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, that's my happy place. And what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, I don't know. Not to, not to take yourself too seriously. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel that I have had a, you know, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey and, and not to, not to dwell too much um, on the, I think, I think one of the, the biggest things is that when I turned, when I became a mother is expecting myself to be like my mother, who'd had, you know, 30, almost 30 years experiences of being a mother. Um, and I think that's what I would definitely tell myself, you know, when I first had a baby. Um, so just, just the fact that we're always learning, that we don't know everything and that we never will know everything, but just to go easy on yourself and not expect yourself to suddenly be this amazing whatever mother or, you know, person with, with, in their job or their career. So, yeah, because it can be quite exhausting how much we put on ourselves, I think. That's very sound advice. Well, Karen, you've given everyone lots of sound advice. And you've been incredibly motivational. Those are two of the main aims I want to have for these podcasts. So I wanted to thank you very much. It's been an absolutely fabulous conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me.